Hello, listeners, patients, and or Clear Minds employees. Quick announcement. We are approaching the end of Season 1. With that in mind, we would like to open up a Q&A. If you have any questions for the writers, voice actors, or just about the patient files in general, make sure to reach out and ask them. A special episode will launch after the season finale, where we, the cast and crew, sit around and do our best to answer them. You can shoot us those questions on X, formerly known as Twitter, threads, in our Discord, or just send your questions directly to our email, patientfilespod at gmail.com. Links will also be in the description. Questions can be submitted up to a week after the final episode of Season 1 comes out. Also, a huge shout-out to Angst Zombie and Alex Peltier for supporting us on Patreon, and helping us keep the lights on. Literally, every dollar matters, and helps us keep this audio drama ad-free for as long as possible. On the note of Patreon, due to some technical issues, Episode 3 of H. Gray Investigations will launch an additional week out than planned. We really want to make sure all our content is up to our standards, so we need just a little bit more time to put it together. All that said, please enjoy the show. Are you sure you want to do Don't that? underestimate me, Mr. Donahue! Eli, don't. You're making a mistake. Don't listen to him, Eli. Take him down while you have a chance. Move against me, and you will fall. I... Uh... We have you cornered. Even if you can't see it yet, be smart about this. Do it, Eli. We won't get another chance. Ha! I moved my cleric to take your vampire castle! You're done! Well now, that puts me in a compromising position. Yes! Good job. One more turn and we win. My champions will overrun his vampire lord. Yes, that would spell victory for your team. But aren't you forgetting? Charles, it's your turn. Right. I move my shades from the Forest of Darkness. With the clerics gone, the Holy Paladin is left alone. Wait! You can't do that! The shades can't approach the Paladin because of his holy aura! Which is why I use this. The Idol of the Cursed. I sacrifice half my shades to ignore any aura. That's still six power against his five defense. The idol can do that? Yes. Uh, page 12 under special cards. The asterisks at the bottom. Hold on. He's right. Stupid rule. And I believe that means we win. Aw, man! We were so close that time! Wanna play again? As much as I love beating you and Mr. Gray, Gray. this is getting a bit old. We could play something else. You have a lot of games. Like, a lot of games. It is impressive. I think you even beat Greg with your collection. A whole room dedicated to board games is a bit... much. Have you even played them all? Truthfully, I haven't touched them since I was a child. I forgot how much I enjoyed these. When Greg first presented the idea of playing board games, I thought it was a joke. However, they are useful. The good ones combine in-depth rules, strategy, and social deception. I can appreciate a good set of rules. I don't care if I win or lose. It's just cool to hang out. What do you guys want to do now? Hmm. We could always... I swear, Charles, if you say work, I'm going to lose it. But I'm just... We just wrapped up eight hours of work earlier. Not to mention you've been combing through files for anything that could be a clue. 
Don't think I haven't noticed you reading them at breakfast, Charles. It's been a week, and you're no closer now than you were then. Not true. I'm close to establishing a timeline. I, I think. If you pay attention to how And he... what about you? Have any shady and dangerous fellows contacted you? Not yet. Again, Olin's contacts are usually elbow-deep in some sort of danger. One of them will get back to us when they can. Precisely my point. We are either working ourselves to rags, or on a damned wait list. Either way, we need breaks like these. Fine. What's this one? That one? Now I haven't seen this one in quite a while. Even more so than the others. God, I used to love this game. This rule book is... thin. It's a social game, like Truth or Dare, with a few more mechanics. Father was a distant man. The only way I could spend any time with him was during family game night. Mother insisted on it. Most things I know about him were from this game. Can we play it? Sure. Why not? Setup is relatively simple. Let me see the rule book. I won't lose to a technicality again. It's not that type of game. We go around in a circle. When it's your turn, draw a card. The card will have a prompt, um, like... What's your most embarrassing high school experience? You have the option to either answer it or not. If you choose not to answer, then you take a card. What does the card do once you have it? Nothing. You have to get rid of it. And to do so, you have to do a dare from another player that they can pose during their turn instead of drawing. And setup is done. I'll go first. Ahem. Okay. So, if you were stranded on a deserted island and could only bring one thing... What would you bring? Okay, starting off kind of lame. I'd bring... a hawk! I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I could train it to hunt for food. I mean, I guess I would already know how to hunt, so... I guess I would train it to bring food back for me. Oh, and I could give it a cool name like... Falcon! And it could deliver messages to people to come get me. There is so much wrong with that. No hawk for My you. My gun. Hmm, a uh, fully charged phone. I would call someone and give them my GPS coordinates. I don't think the island would have cell service, Charles. The card doesn't say it doesn't have service. Whatever. I would bring a fully fueled boat with a crew. Uh, hold on. If you get a crew, I get cell service. Fine. Mr. Gray? H. Gray. Your turn. Who was my first kiss? <clears throat> uh, pass. My turn. Hmm. What should I dare you to uh. do? I think I'll hold on to that for now. Let's see what we have. Tell a story from your childhood. Alright, fine. Once I lost a tooth, and the tooth fairy got me a swimming pool. Charles, you're up. Hold on! That doesn't count! Yeah! We all lost a tooth! The swimming pool isn't normal, I'll admit, but... Yeah, that story was... subpar. Subpar? Alright, fine. You want a story, Charles? I'll give you one. This is the story of the first and last time this house encountered the... special. It's also how I learned of the city. I'll start where every good story starts. Loss. Loss is the only constant we are guaranteed. For me, for this tale, my loss began the day I was to gain my freedom. At least, an ounce of it anyway. I grew up homeschooled until I was roughly 16. My early childhood was a carousel of acts and roles I was taught to play. Tutors cycled through my life, appearing and disappearing, 
much like an ever-evolving door. I learned much, general education, social etiquette, how to walk with just the right posture, self-defense, weapon training, and fashion, just to name a few. I wasn't some princess locked inside of a lavish prison, I'll admit. Mother and father made sure to parade me about, charity events and galas and things of that nature. Perhaps they meant well. Or perhaps I was nothing more than a future head of the family, being groomed for my proper place. In either case, to say that I grew restless would be an understatement. Like any typical teenager, I rebelled in my own way. Skipping lessons, playing pranks, and generally being unruly. Unruly. Hmm. Perhaps the perfect word. Or the worst, if you ask father. Clichely, father was not a warm man. He was obsessed with reputation, obsessed with power, and most of all, obsessed with control. So, the presence of a child who could not be easily ruled was unacceptable. The punishments were mild at first. My allowance slashed to mere pennies. My favorite cook fired. The room dedicated to my board games locked. I protested, of course. I was met with more, shall we say, intense consequences. Every minute of every day that I was not asleep, I was consumed with education. I don't think it mattered what subjects they were. Father wanted me to be broken down, physically and mentally. It didn't work. Sure, I was absolutely exhausted on all fronts, but his attempts at correcting my path only hardened my burning desire to resist, to carve out my own identity, separate from the one laid out before me. This, of course, enraged Father. He took to supervising my every lesson, and soon he became my sole teacher. Mother stepped in when she noticed the bruises. Father ignored her. Finally, she came to my rescue after the house doctor was called... the fourth time? Another fractured bone. Mother berated father that night. I remember hiding just out of sight, clinging to the shadows like good old dad taught me. To my disappointment, but not surprise, the reason for her protests were not coming from a place of motherly love. Whereas father preferred his power and control, mother was always vigilant to optics. No visible bruises or casts for injured limbs were her hard rules. Rules she felt were broken one too many times. Publicly, she was graceful, gentle, and even warm. Privately, though, she was cunning, her tongue knowing just how to slice and stab. Together, they made the perfect combination of abusive parents, all the while making their son both loathe them and desperately seek their approval. 
After much arguing, my father agreed with my mother's latest scheme to get me in line. School. Public school, to be precise. Her reasoning was that it was clear that I craved socialization on my terms, refusing me. That was the root of the issue. At least that's what she believed. So, they would send me out into the public, intentionally choosing a school that was far below the expected standard of one in my position. The idea was that I would be a stranger, the new kid with rich parents, the kid who knew all the answers on every test plus some, someone who would be unable to make any real connections, unable to find sympathy for my brand of struggles. Eventually, I would grow contempt for my peers. A child's response to ostracization, Mother's limited view and her over-characterization of an entire class of people aside, I was excited. Sure, they would do whatever they could to squash any attempts of individualism, but I also knew I was stubborn. I was going to prove them wrong. In a matter of days, we relocated here. Servants and staff moved our personal belongings in that short time. Whatever they couldn't, father simply bought. The night before my first day, I fell incredibly ill. I ran a fever, my bones themselves seemed to ache, and my skin felt like it was on fire. With labored breaths and much discomfort, I struggled my way across the manor. They thought it was an act of defiance, a way to get out of what they considered a punishment. They accused me of manufacturing the physical symptoms and putting on a convincing performance for the rest. It was of no use. Their minds were made up. Come morning, I would be chauffeured to school in one of the limos. I was sent back to bed. That night, a storm, one like I'd never experienced before or since, rolled over the manor. happened next, I wouldn't fully discover until a few years later. Not until I reviewed the security tapes of that morning, long after I was to be in class. They were kept from me until I turned 18 by a friend of the family. Anyway, with a storm that magnitude, I was surprised school wasn't cancelled. As mentioned, my father was obsessed with control. There wasn't a single inch of the manor's property that didn't have surveillance privacy wasn't an ideal he believed in. How the manor retained power is a mystery that still eludes me to this day. Please note, at that time, this was my first confirmation of the nature of the city. So my mind tried to bend to understand what I was seeing. I watched and rewatched those tapes to the point of memorization, to the point where I might as well have been present that day. The front door opened. Father was in one of his studies, mother taking her morning swim in the indoor pool. Staff crawled throughout the grounds, tending to a myriad of duties. Thunder roared and lightning cracked. Rain assaulted the manor. Casually and calmly, it entered our home. A creature near beyond description. It was in the rough shape of a human. It wore a well-tailored suit and strode with a practiced purpose. A grin dominated its features, a permanent fixture that stretched near ear to ear. Its eyes shined with a hatred that could only be found in the darkest pits of hell. Slowly, it moved about the property, 
It made no attempts to hide, yet it was absolutely stalking in a way that only a predator could. With each step, its unchained malice lashed out around it. The wallpaper and paint peeled. Plants decayed and fell limp as it passed them. Wood splintered and warped, glass cracked and shattered. Each slow advance brought with it death and rot. One of the maids rounded the corner. She gasped and jumped back. Her eyes took in the scene as her body froze still in fear. But not in fear of the creature. It was the chaos and destruction it brought that caused her stomach to tie itself into a heavy knot. The creature itself didn't move, as if it was simply waiting. The maid, with trembling steps, moved toward it. Mixed in with the fear, there was another emotion. Concern. She was concerned for the thing in front of her. Her hand stretched outward. She beckoned for this creature to take it. It was as if she wanted to pull it to safety, like the environment was the real threat and not this deformed monster before her. It didn't move. It just stood there, motionless. The maid moved closer. Her hand shook as she stretched her body outward. She attempted to stay just out of the radius of the degradation. It still refused to move. Eventually, the maid summoned whatever courage that still remained and leapt forward. It was clear that her goal was to grab this monster and rush it to safety. Instead, her face contorted in horror. I would like to think it was quick for her. It was quick on the camera. But in a single frame, her expression, her eyes, told a different story. She watched as the flesh on the tip of her fingers peeled off, stripping itself and falling to the ground in ash. Her exposed bone would soon follow. The wave of pure destructive force washed over her body and in an instant, she exploded in a morbid cloud of fine dust. Silence lingered in the hall. It resumed its path. I watched as this dark force of nature personified moved throughout my home, twisting and destroying the surroundings by its mere presence. I watched as it encountered servant after servant, each one becoming a thick layer of dust left on the floor. And I watched as it approached my father's office. This thing, despite it being an obvious danger, seemed to only inspire confusion and concern where panic would have been more appropriate. Calmly. It raised a hand and knocked. My father, who was on the other side of that door, didn't even look up. His attention solely focused on some silly document as he sat at his desk. It knocked again. No more harder than before. No more urgent. Three simple knocks. Father briefly glanced upward and dismissed the sound. Again, the creature begged for entry father cursed at the door, he commanded to be left alone. The creature persisted. With a dissatisfied grunt, he stood. His walk was a walk of silent anger. His steps screamed that whoever dared disturb him would be fired. His hand reached for the door. The door didn't move. Its wood warped by the creature, holding it in place. Three more knocks.
Jesus. Father now pulled on the door more firmly than before. His aggravation was evident by his frantic attempt to unbar his exit. With a loud complaint from the wood, the door popped open. In a moment, a mere moment, I watched my father come face to face with this monster. A look of surprise mixed with anger was the last expression that my father's face wore. And just like that, his ashes slowly drifted downward. The monster stood in that threshold, waiting for the dust that was my father to settle. Once it had, it kneeled down. It took a small handful of my father's remains and let his ashes slip through its fingers like sand on a beach. After it seemed satisfied, it resumed its quiet rampage. Methodically, it went from room to room. The sight of what happened in the kitchen is one of the many horrors of that day that will forever be burnt into my memory. The kitchen staff burst into clouds as fruit rotted and meat spoiled on the counters. This was the only time the monster encountered a group of people. After the sous chef popped like a balloon, whatever illusion of concern this creature conjured dropped. Some of them froze, some screamed, and one even attempted to run. She tripped and didn't get very far. The screams were enough, however. The mother, who was already drying herself off with a towel, noticed. She never frightened easily, so a death-curdling scream of terror was just barely enough to catch her interest. With an inquisitive tone, she called out, annoyance hanging off her lips more than concern. The monster swung its attention to her voice. Its aimless path became purposed once again. Mother shrugged off the odd intrusion of noise and went back to patting herself dry. The monster approached the door to the swimming pool area. It paused, as if it debated whether to knock or not. Deciding on a course of action, it simply placed a hand on the door, causing it to split and then crumble apart. Mother jumped in surprise, nearly falling into the pool. Instinctively, once she recovered, she went to move forward towards the creature. She paused. She was always clever and soaked in details that others may miss. Her eyes flicked from the creature to the area surrounding it. The tiles began to crack, the plants by the doors withered. Mother threw up her hands in a gesture of surrender. She pleaded with this thing, attempting to speak with it, to reason with it. The monster took a step forward, and the mother took a step back. Her words were only met with a gaze, full of malevolence and a wide smile. It took another step. Mother did as well. The creature carefully corralled her around the edge of the pool. It led her to the deep end like it was a shepherd's dog, until she had run out of ground. She slipped backwards and fell into the pool. Despite being an excellent swimmer and usually having the ability to be calm and graceful under stress, these skills did not help her. On moving, it watched her flail and splash about. With a few steps, the creature kneeled by the water and waited. Mother regained her composure and began to tread water as her eyes locked onto its hateful stare. At that moment, I think she knew. This thing was beyond reasoning with, beyond fighting, and beyond compassion. She closed her eyes, seeming ready for her grim fate, and 
grim it was. The monster lowered its hand into the water. The pool adopted a sickly green hue, and a disgusting foam collected at the edge. The sickness spread outward from the monster's touch. It was as if it was turning the water into a vile stagnation that had always been there. When this putrid rot reached Mother, it clung onto her, infecting her. Her skin grayed, her body bulged, her eyes melted and her skin sloughed off of her. The red of her blood mixed with the now green water and her garbled screams echoed around the tiled room. Then the creature left, walked out into the rain. No one survived that day. When I returned home, I was met with twisted architecture and piles of dust. I had no idea what had happened. Discovering human remains, or what was left of them, in the pool was a sight that seared itself into my mind. Learning the truth from the tapes only made that burned image grow hotter. I never did learn why it showed up that day, or why it gave Mother such a ghoulish fate compared to the rest. All I really remember was going to my room. I sat on my bed in shock, in confusion, for the rest of the night. The next day, a family friend dropped by to meet with Father. I would later learn that he was a fixer of sorts for the family. It wasn't long before the whole mess was swept under a rug. Thanks to him, despite being orphaned, I was left to inherit the family fortune and not end up in the system. I did continue to go to school, although I used my name and money to attend one of higher quality. In the end, I suppose I did follow the path Father laid out for me. I majored in psychology, like he wanted, and I suppose that day is one of the reasons Clear Mind sought me out. It took me a while to eventually come back here. Nearly everything has been replaced, and I refuse to keep anyone on staff. At first, it was just in case. Just in case it ever came back. It's long gone, one would have to suspect. I do keep one reminder, however. The mural, above the front door. The creature warped it into a complex pattern, but left the family sigil alone at its center. Did... Did that really happen? The card said to tell a story. It never said it had to be real. I'm barely coming to terms with all this strange or special or whatever stuff. Don't make me also have to listen to made-up horror stories. It happened. Oh? And you would know this how? It's the look in your eyes. I know that look all too well. Do you now? Just where do you see this look? Every day in the mirror. Fair enough. What happened to the monster? Who knows? It could still be out there. Maybe it's still in this very house. That's not funny. <laughs> you didn't get to see the look on your face. It's getting late. Good night. Um, okay. Uh, Mr. Talbot, I think it's your turn now. I think I'm done too, honestly. What? Already? How convenient. Are you done too, Mr. Donahue? Not at all. Although I think I've had enough games for the evening. If you're up for it, we could make our way to the theater room. There are some movies that I think you'd enjoy. Yeah, okay! Donahue? Yes, Charles? Uh, thank you. For. Tonight. 
And I'm glad you're here. Charles? Yeah? Your recorder's on. What? When did... Hmm. This episode is a Dark Papers Entertainment production. Showrunners for this episode were Christopher George and Dalton Lewis. This episode was written by Christopher George. Script editing was done by Dalton Lewis. Dr. Charles Talbot was voiced by Christopher George. Lucian Donahue was voiced by Dakota Hamlin. H. Gray was voiced by Michael Williams. Eli was voiced by Dalton Lewis. Chris here. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please make sure to give us stars and rate our show where you can. It really helps out. Also, if you're enjoying the show so far, please make sure to astral project into the dreams of everyone on your block and whisper the patient files. Come follow us on X and Threads. If you're feeling extra kind, come join us on Patreon and get some rewards. Listen to our episodes early, read our scripts, get name shoutouts, and of course, access to the Patreon-only show, H. Gray Investigations. We really think you'll like it. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane.